0: Thank you. We are going to do this program in a way where we march right through it so that you can have the opportunity to hear from the four people who helped cause the Federalist Society to exist and some of our distinguished friends, and because we want you to have the opportunity to see and hear them. We're going to keep going through the dinner. Please continue eating, but keep the conversation to a minimum so that we can all be heard. I should mention that our newest Attorney General, Judge Mukasey, was here tonight at the reception. He could not stay for dinner because of a previous commitment, but he wanted me to extend to all of you congratulations to the Federalist Society and Federalists. Our first speaker tonight was to have been Judge Bork, but Judge Bork is ill and could not make it tonight. But I do want to introduce Stephen Calabresi, who will say a few words of thanks for all that Judge Bork has done for the Federalist Society and every person in this room for so many years. Steve Calabresi is one of those four visionary students who founded the Federalist Society in 1982, apparently oblivious to the fact that they would be stomped like cockroaches by the liberal deans and professors who maintained an iron group grip on the faculty and curricula in those days, and was not about to let go and let you guys take over. Steve is chairman of the Society's Board of Directors, served in the Reagan and Bush 41 administrations, and is now a widely respected professor of constitutional law at Northwestern. He has had the distinction of having clerked for Ralph Winter, Robert Bork, and Antonin Scalia, something of a right-wing hat trick.
1: Steve.
2: It's a great honor and privilege uh, to be able to be here tonight to pay tribute to Judge Robert H. Bork. Judge Bork has been one of the towering intellectual figures of American law for the past 40 years because of his brilliance, his clear writing, and his deep sense of commitment to moral principle. Judge Bork served his country as a Marine, as Solicitor General, As Acting Attorney General of the United States during the Watergate scandal, as a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, and most memorably, as President Ronald Reagan's nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. In every one of these posts, Judge Bork provided moral leadership and proved himself to be a statesman and a governmental leader of extraordinary accomplishment. Judge Bork is also one of the most influential and important legal scholars of the post-World War II era. His writings on antitrust law transformed that field, helped to create the law and economics movement, and laid the basis for the movement toward deregulation that led to the economic prosperity of the last 25 years. Judge Bork's writings have also transformed constitutional law. He led an intellectual revolution against the lawlessness of the Warren Court and in the process helped create the theory of originalism in constitutional interpretation. But most important for us all tonight, we are recognizing Judge Bork and paying tribute to him because Judge Bork did more than anyone else 25 years ago to help create, nourish, and legitimize the Federalist Society. Twenty-five years ago, when we held our first conference at Yale Law School, Judge Robert H. Bork was the keynote speaker. He was the marquee name who everyone came to our conference to see. Judge Bork had faith in us when we were a small handful of law students, and he spent hours teaching us, setting an example for us, speaking at our events, and helping us get started. Without Judge Robert H. Bork, there would be no Federalist Society today. He was was, and is our inspiration, our teacher, and our hero. And we are very proud that he continues to serve today as the co-chairman of our Board of Visitors. Judge Robert H. Bork has transformed the United States of America and its economic and legal system. And I ask you all to join me in paying tribute tonight to a truly great man, Judge Fork. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that. Judge Bork would have been embarrassed, he never likes that sort of thing, but there is no person who has given more of his time to the Federalist Society and the members of the Federalist Society over and over and over again. I would now like to introduce the second of the four founders of the Federalist Society, and I would want you to welcome her. What these people did is so spectacular. Uh, Lee Lieberman Otis, another of the Federalist Society's scrappy founders, is a brilliant scholar, a brilliant lawyer, and an accomplished strategist. She has served in all three branches of our government, clerkships on the D.C. Circuit and the Supreme Court of the United States for Justice Scalia, in the executive branch as general counsel of the Energy Department and in the White House with Boyden Gray as Associate Counsel to the President, and as Chief Counsel for Immigration on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Please welcome Lee Lieberman Otis, who will introduce Justice Scalia.
3: Well, perhaps Not entirely coincidentally, I've known Justice Scalia for about 25 years, but it's been quite a while since it's been my privilege to introduce him. All of you are familiar with his extraordinary gifts as a writer and as a lawyer that have enabled him to make extraordinary contributions to American law. What I think you may be less aware of is how, despite this, he suffers not at all from robitis, that is to say, the disease that afflicts people when they assume the robe, the judicial robe and remains the down-to-earth and genuinely open-minded and curious person he was when he was appointed to the court some 20 years ago. While I give him considerable credit for this, I give his family more. I was confident, and I assured Attorney General Meese at the time that he was considering whom to recommend to the president, that no man with nine children and no man who was married to Maureen Scalia could entertain illusions of infallibility. I am pleased to report... That now that the children are mostly grown, the next generation is continuing to play this important role. I'm told on good authority that recently, one of Justice Scalia's daughters was driving past the Supreme Court and pointed it out to her son. Look, she said, that's where Grandpa works. Oh, said her son, without missing a beat. I didn't know that Grandpa was the court jester. We all know from reading his opinions, and especially some of his dissents, that Justice Scalia's grandson was not altogether wrong, but we also know that the jests serve a deeper purpose. In the words of Jack Point, the jester in the great Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, The Yeoman of the Guard, he who'd make his fellow creatures wise must always gild the philosophic pill. Ladies and gentlemen, Justice Scalia.
4: Thank you very much, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. The acoustics weren't very good over on the side as I was listening to Lee, but I, I gathered she was telling a story about one of my children at the Supreme Court. Uh, it was not the best story. Uh, the the best one is my my grandson Timmy, who whose father brought him to the court on on one occasion. He was very young at the time, five years old, and uh, his father asked him, Timmy, do you know you know what this building is? He said, Yes, it's the Supreme Court. And he says, You know, your pop pop uh, works here. Do you, do you know what your pop pop does? And Timmy says, Yes, he's a Supreme Court jester. As many of you know, I was cultivating the Federalist Society when it was just a seed. I served as faculty sponsor for the student group of that name, formed at the University of Chicago by Lee Lieberman Otis and David McIntosh, both of whom are here this evening. We did not envision, to tell you the truth, that the student group would grow into a national organization big enough to fill the Union Station, or prominent enough to be addressed by the President of the United States. We thought we were just planting a wildflower among the weeds of academic liberalism and it turned out to be an oak. But while the size of the assemblage this evening is indeed impressive, the virtue of the Federalist Society now as then consists not in its size or its prominence but in its ideas the ideas that motivated the original federalists who brought this nation into being first of all and we sometimes forget that it is first of all the idea of democratic self-government the limitations upon democratic self-government contained in the democratically adopted bill of rights most prominently the freedom of speech guaranteed by the first amendment dispersion of power and responsibility between the federal government and the states separation of powers within the federal government itself a principle which imposes limitations even upon the judicial power And binding all of this together, fidelity to the text of the document that contains all these assurances of our public happiness, the Constitution of the United States. So congratulations to the Federalist Society on its 25th anniversary. Should I live long enough to witness its 50th, so (laughs) Should I live that long, so long as it remains faithful to the ideas with which it began, I will praise it just as highly then as I have now, even if the 50th anniversary celebration is held in Gene Myers or Leonard Leo's backyard. Thank you.
0: I want you to be able to have the opportunity to hear from some more members of the Federalist Society. And you thought that Justice Scalia was the most entertaining part of the evening, nowhere close. Justice Scalia thinks he was really good, but you've really got some, some good things ahead of you. Now that I have your attention, I want to do a commercial message. They've given me this and ordered me to read it to you. I would also like to thank the coalition for the presidential one dollar coin, which provided the Madison dollar coins that were found at each of your place settings. Now, I suspect that what happened to you at your table happened at everybody else's table. You threw away those coins. You thought that was You thought those were mints, you know. Justice Scalia ate his. The Madison coin is part of Congress's presidential one dollar coin series, which began with the U.S. Mint releasing the Washington coin in February, and has been followed by a new presidential coin from the Mint every three months. You have to be alert to this and be ready. In a fitting coincidence, the Madison coin for the Federalist Society was released just today. The coins that you have are the very first ones. And if you can get a justice of the Supreme Court to put a thumbprint on your coin, it will be extraordinarily valuable. So I want you to line up. To each of these three justices and get them to put their thumb on your coin. Their thumbprint on the head of James Madison. Now they have a few more lines here about efficient government and coins and so forth. I'm not going to read that. I want to, I want to introduce a key member of the Federal Society, someone without whom the Federal Society could not possibly be what it is today. The best word that I can use to describe Leonard Leo is dynamo. He is the Society's exec- executive vice president, which doesn't remotely tell you what he does. But describing Leonard Leo's contributions to the Federal Society would be a full evening's work all by itself. Those of you who have worked with Leonard know what I'm talking about. Let's just say that he does everything from fundraising, organizing, idea generating, public relations, liaison with anyone and everyone, and gracious, generous friend and wise counselor to anyone who seems to need a hand. Where he gets the time, I just don't know, but he is also very active in the Catholic Church. Leonard clerked for both Judge Ray Randolph in the D.C. Circuit and Judge Randy Rader on the Federal Circuit. I'm told not simultaneously, but I'm not sure. He could do it. Leonard will introduce one of the great friends of the Federalist Society and the great gifts to this country, Clarence Thomas.
5: Thank you, Ted. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. If you read uh, Justice Clarence Thomas's New York Times bestseller, My Grandfather's Son, you will find several references to a prayer known as the Litany of Humility. Among other things, the prayer asks the Lord to deliver us from the desire of being honored, praised, extolled, and approved. It asks as well that we be delivered from the fear of being despised, ridiculed, and rebuked. We are most fortunate as a nation that Justice Thomas has chosen to live his life in this way. As a jurist, he has resisted the allure of praise and approval, always doing what the law demands rather than what the anointed in our society might desire or demand. And, for example, he has taught many of us, that there is nothing wrong with being attacked and hated if you are standing up for what is right. Thank you, Justice. Thank you. Thank you, Justice, for the friendship you have shown the Federalist Society over the years, and thank you especially for the inspiring lessons you have instilled in so many young people in our organization. Please join me in welcoming Justice Clarence Thomas.
1: Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you all, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm definitely going to quit while I'm ahead now. Um, I am honored to be here with you all this evening and honored to be here with my colleagues and so many of my friends. I can remember back in 1979 when I came to Washington, and this building was only open for foot traffic to the metro. Scurrying through this building and avoiding the leaks coming through the roof and wondering if anything important would ever happen in this huge empty place. Well, something important is happening tonight. But back in the 1980s, there was this fledgling organization that was encouraged by a great man Ed Meese and so many others who were on faculties around this country. It was the Federalist Society. It was at a time when I was chairman of the EEOC and later it was at a time when Attorney General Meese encouraged so many who were also involved with the Federalist Society to write about issues that I hadn't heard about since law school and since I went to Yale hadn't heard about much even at that time. There were issues such as federalism, separation of powers, government by consent. They actually sat down and wrote articles about them and circulated them. And we had debates. My staff and I would visit the Justice Department and debate with some of the senior officials there. And I thought it was just a wonderful time. Little did I know that those early discussions and early debates would form such an important part of my own development and that someone, someone whom I'd only met a few times in the administration, Ed Meese, would play such an important role, again, not only in my development, but in my life. I attended a conference in 1988 at UVA. Uh, I think this organization was about six years old. And at that time, I had the opportunity to debate J. Harvey Wilkinson, Judge J. Harvey Wilkinson uh, about the privileges or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment. He was not too keen on it at the time, and I was very keen on it, and I remain very keen on it. (laughs) As usual, the the debate was very civil very constructive, very entertaining, and very, very exciting. The dinner speaker was none other than the irrepressible and brilliant Bob Bork. He was entertaining, he was insightful, incisive, and cutting. He was, at the time, talking about his failed confirmation, which would portend so much that has happened in our judicial the judicial selection system that the president alluded to i think and continue to think that what happened to him was one of the great travesties in our country i look at this huge audience i look at So many people who are excited about being here and excited about what's ahead. And I can only imagine the courage of a few young people who came up with yet one more idea to let's start something. Let's start an organization where we can actually talk about ideas, where we can actually talk about the Constitution and its structure and how that structure is to protect our liberty and how important that document is to our country. Didn't we all have those kinds of conversations? And we did nothing. I received a letter that I alluded to today from a man who said he had lots of ideas and thoughts, but he was afraid to say anything. Because what? People would attack you. Can you imagine the courage that these young people had? Can you imagine what it took to face the faculty and the students at these law schools and say, we're going to do something different. But they did. They stood up for principle. They had the courage to pursue their dreams and the courage to stand up for their ideas. Courage. Isn't that fascinating? I think that in all that's been said, their brilliance, their talent, their energy, courage is the main ingredient, and it's courage that is missing in so many aspects of our lives today. As As Winston Churchill said, courage is rightly esteemed, the first of human qualities because it is the quality which guarantees all others. Courage. Courage guaranteed us a constitution. Courage guaranteed us a country. And courage gave us the Federalist Society. Congratulations, and thank you all.
0: That's a Grand Slam home run. That's fantastic times. David McIntosh is one of those courageous people that Justice Thomas just finished speaking about, one of the four founders of the Federalist Society one of two Federal Society founders who have served in Congress. Speaking of courage, David, as a three-term representative of the Second District of Indiana, is now a reformed member of Congress. Before serving in Congress, David was a special assistant to President Reagan. And also served in the Bush administration, Bush 41 administration, as an assistant to Vice President Dan Quayle. You heard Justice Thomas refer to Ed Meese, who's such a hero to this organization, to so many people uh, in this room and so many people throughout America. Uh, David will introduce uh, our next speaker, which will be Attorney General Meese.
6: Thank you, Ted. And thank you, Justice Thomas, for those very kind words. There's another word that actually defines the life of our next speaker, and that is service as a personal friend, counselor and attorney general to Ronald Reagan. He tirelessly implemented and gave life to the president's belief in our system of limited constitutional government. Ed Meese, as Justice Thomas pointed out, challenged the legal system to be faithful to the principles of judicial restraint, separations of power, federalism, and individual liberty embodied in a written constitution. He also oversaw the appointment of judges, many of whom are here tonight who share those beliefs. But as a very busy man, Attorney General Meese also took time to encourage three young lawyers who were working for him at that time, Lee Otis, Steve Calabresi, and me, to take time to build the Federalist Society into the institution that it has become today. And since then, Ed Meese has served that cause by crisscrossing this country and speaking to countless law student chapters, lawyers chapters, wherever people would gather to discuss the meaning of the rule of law. He continues to serve. He serves his family, especially his lovely wife, Ursula, his country and the principle of freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you former Attorney General Edward Meese.
7: Thank you David and thank you ladies and gentlemen for your very warm welcome. It's a real pleasure for me to join all of you in celebrating this great 25th anniversary of the Federalist Society. It's a, as you heard, uh, it was a privilege for me to have uh, three of the four founders of this organization uh, working with me in the Department of Justice and it was Something that, uh, <clears throat> that I admired greatly in the way in which they started, as you've heard from other speakers tonight. But I think that it was probably beyond the imagination of any of us at that time to realize how great and how important and how large this organization would become in just 25 years. I think it is probably the greatest success story of any organization that I know of. In recent years, of what has happened in that quarter century, we now have today chapters in every accredited law school in the United States. And the membership in the Lawyers' Division. Largely because people who have become alumni of those law schools didn't want to give up the Federalist Society, we now have twice as many members of the Lawyers Division than we do of the Student Division. A tribute to all of you. (laughs) As I've had the privilege of going around visiting law schools over the past 15 years or so and speaking, usually to Federalist groups, I've had the deans of those law schools, most of them liberal, I guess maybe that's redundant, <laughs> but in any event, they all praised the Federalist Society because wonder of wonders, the Federalist Society had brought debate to their law school. I think, I think that's one of the strengths of this organization because they know that in the marketplace of ideas. Our ideas of fidelity to the Constitution are always going to win. The Federalist Society, as others have said, have had a tremendous impact on the legal profession in our country. For one thing, they have had a great influence on the ABA. It is not unusual for the presidents or other officers of the ABA to feel an obligation to engage in discussions with the leaders of the Federalist Society. Furthermore, they are a monitoring presence, presence as far as the ABA is concerned with ABA Watch. And as a result, I think there's no question that they have mitigated to some extent at least the liberal tendencies of the ABA. At least the House of Delegates no longer passes quite as bad resolutions as they used to. It's interesting to note that they've even had an influence on our philosophical opponents. They've been so successful, they have motivated the left to create something they call the American Constitution Society, a misnomer if I've ever heard of one. (laughs) Justice Scalia talked about the importance of preserving the Constitution and what the Federalist Society does. And that, I think, has been one of their major accomplishments to continue and promote the debate in legal and law school and judicial circles over constitutional fidelity against judicial activism. It was the Federalist Society that took some speeches that I had given, that President Reagan had given, and fortunately that Justice Brennan had given, because it was when he spoke up in opposition that suddenly we had a debate, and that gave it much more attention. I suspect that if Justice Brennan had not replied, my speech in 1985 would have gone with most other American Bar Association speeches into the proceedings never to be heard from again. But instead, Justice Brennan replied, but the Federalist Society published those speeches, published the debate over constitutional fidelity, and as a result, it has ever since been an important part of the legal literature and the legal discussion. It was interesting, as I gave a talk at one law school, I pointed out that most law schools taught constitutional law, but they ignored the Constitution. I said that uh, in the leading constitutional law casebook, the Constitution didn't get in there until Appendix H. Shortly after that, I got a letter from a professor whose name will be unknown, who said, you talked about the leading constitutional casebook, you must have been talking about mine. And he said, I want you to know that in the next edition, the Constitution's being moved up to Appendix A. <laughs> well, today, the Federalist Society, through this support of this debate and the many other things that they do, provide an invaluable service to our nation and occupy an invaluable position in the legal and judicial community. I congratulate all of you and the Federalist Society on 25 years of great service and I wish you even greater success in the next quarter century. Thank you.
0: When David McIntosh said that Ed Meese had crisscrossed the country and given countless speeches and presentations for the Federalist Society, he was understating Ed's contribution to the Federalist Society. You cannot pick up the Federalist Society news or whatever that newsletter is called um, and not see Ed Meese's name over and over and over again. The amount that he gives of himself is truly spectacular. I'm going to have the great pleasure of introducing the dessert next, but before (laughs) maybe I shouldn't have mentioned dessert before I finish this other thing. The Washington Post did us a favor on Monday of publishing the brochure from the very first meeting at Yale. In the spring of 1982, April 24 and 25 of uh, 1982 at Yale Law School, one of the things that these four young people did, these four students did, is they assembled a a program about federalism. This was their very first conference. These were kids. These were students. Um, And the people that were on the program included, this is just half the list, Robert Bork. Stephen Breyer, Charles Freed, Charles is here tonight. John Jeffries, who's the Dean of uh, University of Virginia Law School. Richard Posner, you've heard some of these names. Um, Professor Scalia, Lawrence Smith, who became the chief judge of the United States uh, Court of, um, of Federal Claims, who's here tonight. Judge Ralph Winter from the Second Circuit. That is just a few of the people that they brought together as students. And look at what those people have done in America today and what they've done for this country and what they've done for the Federalist Society. So it's really something so. Enjoy some of the best is yet to come. Enjoy your dessert and then we will have the remainder of the program. Ladies and gentlemen, we are entering the home stretch so that if you could possibly bring yourselves to return to your table for what I'm sure you will remember as the best part of the evening. I should say that after this, um, after the remaining speeches, which you are about to hear, um, there is going to be dancing and drinks in the, right? Uh, There are going to be cocktails and, and dancing in the room next door and opportunities to talk to one another, which I can see that you're still enjoying doing. But this is very important. Now, it has been brought to my attention that some confusion has been caused. Some, some serious confusion that could cause possible serious injury. And I need to, I, to, I need your attention because this is, this could be serious. My remarks about the coin could possibly have misled you. The combination of the coin And the dessert has caused some people who maybe had too too much wine to be confused between the coin that you should not eat and the dessert mint that you may eat. Now, I have to explain to you that the, the coin that you may not eat is smaller than the mint that you may eat. And Justice Scalia is refusing to put his thumbprint on the on the on the mint and the other thing that if you do eat the mint take the wrapping off first you wouldn't think I'd have to explain that to this group of adult people but you're all intellectuals so what can I say I want to introduce the fourth member of that marvelous team of students, that marvelous team of brave, courageous, and somewhat insane students that actually thought that they could create an organization that would change the legal culture of America. And they undertook to do that. Our fourth member, founding member of the Federalist Society is Spencer Abraham, who will be introducing Justice Alito. In addition to helping found the Federal Society, Spence Abraham has been a United States Senator from the state of Michigan, vastly better than the other ones we have, I must say. It's actually an insult to him to compare him, but and I'm sorry that they're probably taping this and I better not stand for confirmation after this, but I don't think there's any risk of that. Spence has also been Secretary of the Department of Energy, a professor at Thomas McCooley Law School, a Vice Chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, and Deputy Chief of Staff to Vice President Dan Quayle. And that's just a partial list of the many things that Spence Abraham has 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 done in his life. One of the nicest people that you'll ever want to meet. One of the reasons that you heard earlier today that the Federalist Society was formed was to influence the reshaping of the federal judiciary with the appointment of judges who would respect the rule of law and not attempt to recreate the rule of law. The three justices with us tonight exemplify the society's aspirations for the federal judiciary. Justice Alito, who Spence will introduce, is simply the most recent example. Welcome Spence Abraham, please.
8: Thank you, Ted. You know, a little earlier, Ted Olson read a partial list of the various law professors and public officials who were courageous enough to attend the first Federalist Society Student Symposium back in 1982, but he is too modest to point out that one of the others whose names he didn't read was his own. And Ted, thank you for your longstanding support and help with the Federalist Society. Our first meeting took place at uh, New Haven, Connecticut in 1982. There were about 75 students who attended. We literally could have fit virtually the entire group in the area that just occupies the stage here tonight. And it wouldn't have happened and our growth wouldn't have taken place if it hadn't been for many people whose names we haven't had time to announce here tonight. But on behalf of all of the founders... I just want to thank the many people in attendance here who have helped make this evening a success and make the Federalist Society such an outstanding organization. Thank you all. It is my pleasure tonight to introduce Justice Samuel Alito. His resume, of course, uh, is an outstanding one. As a graduate of Yale Law School, he. He went on into the legal profession and became an Assistant United States Attorney for the District of New Jersey. Later he came to Washington and served as an assistant to Solicitor General Rex Lee and then as a Deputy Assistant to Attorney General Edwin Meese. In 1987 he was appointed the United States Attorney for the District of New Jersey and then as we all know in 1990 and until 2006 he became a judge on the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. On October 31st, 2005, Judge Alito was nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Thereafter, he and his family courageously and successfully survived the perverse judicial confirmation process that President Bush described earlier tonight. Justice Alito and his family's experience during the confirmation process should serve as a strong reminder to all of us that the subject of judicial selection and confirmation deserves our highest commitment and fullest investment of energy and effort and more importantly his outstanding service since his arrival on the court should serve as a lasting example that such efforts are worth it ladies and gentlemen join me in welcoming justice samuel alito
9: You can see as I start, I'm going to take off my watch because I'm speaking under considerable time pressure tonight. When I was invited to speak, I was told this is going to be a long evening with a lot of speakers. So you you should not speak more than three minutes. And so uh, before the speeches tonight, I was comparing notes with Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas and Justice Scalia came up to me and said, you know, we there are going to be a lot of speakers. We all have to be very brief. They told me that I'm limited to five minutes, and I don't plan to use up the five minutes. I said, well, that's very interesting. They told me I was limited to three. Uh, Spoke to Justice Thomas. He said, they told me I'm limited to four minutes. I said, well, that's interesting. They told me I'm limited to three. But that's how we do everything on the Supreme Court. It's based on seniority. but they actually went over their time. So I've calculated uh, the the ratio of how much time I have. So I I think I have 233 seconds. I'm gonna try to to get this in in that time. This is an amazing event. Um, As I stand here today, I can't help thinking back to my first association with the Federalist Society. There was no Federalist Society when Justice Thomas and I were at Yale Law School we had many organizations, but nothing like the Federalist Society. My first encounter with the Federalist Society was here in Washington in the in the early 80s. Uh, at that time, the Federalist Society lawyers chat, lawyers division here in Washington had monthly luncheon meetings at a Chinese restaurant called the Empress, which I think is no longer with us. I. And I don't really remember how I found out about the society, but uh, after I I went to the first meeting, I made a point of trying to attend every one of the luncheon meetings that I possibly could. At one of the early ones, I ran into someone from the office who's here tonight, but I won't disclose his identity, and I still remember what he said. He said, well, you're here. This is like meeting a friend at a bordello. (laughs) And as I remember it, I was quick to add, I don't really have a point of reference to know whether that's <laughs> a good comparison, but using my imagination, I think it, it might be apt. Uh, that, was the, that was sort of the, amb- the ambiance of those meetings that I remember from my early association with the Federalist Society. And the contrast between those luncheon meetings at the Empress and tonight's elegant event here in Union Station could not be more striking, at least on um, at least on an atmospheric level. What an incredible accomplishment the founders of the Federalist Society uh, achieved. Uh, at the Federalist Society often speaks reverentially about the founders of our country, the founders of our Constitution, and we see James Madison's profile behind us and on the Federalist Society tie. Uh, I think it would be appropriate if we saw the profiles of the founders of the Federalist Society behind us and, and on ties. And, and I personally would like to buy a tie with the the profile of Lee Liberman Otis and David McIntosh and Spencer Abraham and Steve Calabrese and Peter Kaisler. The the accomplishments of the society are are enormous and uh, General Meese described those in terms that are better than, than I possibly could. Uh, In a way, it's amazing that the Federalist Society has prospered the way that it has and has grown the way that it has. In in another respect, it's not surprising at all because what the Federalist Society stands for, which is a desire to talk about the big legal issues and a belief in debate and discussion and an ultimate belief in, in, an ultimate belief that rational debate and discussion will lead to, uh, to good results is what our legal profession stands for, and it's really the foundation of the democratic experiment that has brought all of us here tonight. So I've, I'm almost out of time and so I'm going to wrap up. Uh, I want to congratulate the Federalist Society on the incredible accomplishments uh, of the last 25 years. And I look forward to the 50th anniversary of the Federalist Society. I am not concerned that the 50th anniversary event is going to be held in a Gene Myers or Leonard Leo's backyard. If the Federalist Society continues to grow, my concern is that there will not be any location in Washington, D.C. that will be big enough to hold the event, maybe FedEx field, But wherever it's held, whether it's uh, back here at Union Station or at the Verizon Center or FedEx Field or someplace even better, I hope to be there. And I know that I will see Justice Thomas and Justice Scalia there. And I hope I will see all of you there. So congratulations to the Federalist Society and keep up the good work.
0: I think that each of you must feel the same way I do, the sense of pride of of being a part of the young people a little bit older now that are the founders of the Federal Society, these wonderful justices of the United States Supreme Court who are a part of the Federal Society in our heart um, and are willing to share their time with us, the sense of Humility and respect for the law and for the Constitution that they each have in their heart, and that they express in different ways in the statements that they make, uh, I think I find to be very, very touching. We are very close to being on schedule, which is not bad given the number of speakers that we had. So the trains are sort of running on time. Our final speaker tonight, and he will close the evening. I think may be the most important in terms of the remarkable success of the Federalist Society, although it's really hard to say that when there are so many people who have contributed in so many ways to the Federalist Society. But Gene Meyer has served the Society for over 20 years in the roles of President, Executive Director, and CEO. He is the heart and soul of the Federalist Society, and one of the most gracious, decent, humble persons that I have ever known. He is unselfish. He is completely dedicated to the Federalist Society. I am on the Board of Visitors, and I looked at the financial statements for the Federal Society today. Eighty-six percent, or it's eighty-eight percent, it's eighty-six or eighty-eight percent of the funds the revenue that is generated for the Federalist society go into programs 86 87 88%. There is no other organization that can say anything like that. Other organizations build themselves up and pretty soon the superstructure of the organization is where all the money goes. The federalist society is lean and it's dedicated to its members, and it relies on volunteers and people that give their time to the Federalist Society. We can't possibly thank them enough. And I, maybe I'll stop for a second before I finish the introduction of Gene and ask you to thank all of the staff of the, and the volunteers of the Federalist Society that made tonight happen. They are so good. I wish I had time and I wish I had the names in front of me to name them all because they're all over this place. They were at the beat, They were outside when we came here. They were they're doing this. They're doing that and making everything happen, putting the programs together they're all over the Mayflower Hotel. These are terrific, wonderful people that work unselfishly to make all of these things happen. But at the head of it is Gene Meyer. Um, and Maybe part of Gene's success may be attributable to the fact that of all the people in this room, Gene is not a lawyer. Uh, But he is an international chess master, which may explain why he is always several moves ahead of everyone else in this room. Well, I just want you to thank and express our collective appreciation on behalf of everyone connected with the Federal Society for everything that Gene Meyer has done and is doing for the Federal Society, making what it is today. Thank you, Gene.
10: Thank you very much, Ted, and thank you for the wonderful job you you did tonight, emceeing. Uh, I I, I would also like to thank the president and all of our speakers. We are are extremely grateful. Uh, This convention brings to the end our 25th anniversary celebration, which we've tried to use not just as a celebration, but also to foster our efforts to build the next generation of leaders who will help advance the rule of law. Uh, and and uh, it, one, one of the nice things and part of this 25th anniversary, uh, one of our donors gave us a major contribution which will enable us to expand significantly what we're able to do for students on the law school campuses, uh, which it will ad- definitely help to meet the needs of all these chapters that we now have at, at, uh, at every accredited law school. Uh, uh, of course, you know, in our earlier days, we did face a few challenges. Uh, you've kind of heard some indications of that uh, Jody balsam, who's here tonight who was trying to start her NYU chapter, related that when she tried to get recognition for our chapter there ensued an hour and a half debate in the student Bar Association. The vote ended six to five in our favor with seven abstentions. Similar stories exist at many of the law schools I, I, I our Direc- founding directors have symbolized the efforts of many of our students in those early days who found similar struggles in the effort to start chapters. Uh, you've, you've already seen tonight, you know, St- Steve Lee, David, and Spence. Uh, St- Steve and David are still on our board of directors. I'd also like to recognize Gary Lawson and Brent Hatch, who are also on our board of directors currently, along with Peter who who is our fifth founding director. Uh, th- th- thanks to all of them. We did have considerable success in early years, but even favorable press stories had headlines like the Reagan administration, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Federal Society's growing network for conservatives, Cannot Outlast last Reagan or another story in the California lawyer stated that like most legal academics, Kennedy doubts the federal Society influence will last at the end of the Bush and Clinton administrations. There were similar articles about kind of about our imminent demise. In 1990, the Federal Society its Board of Visitors, which has helped prove some of these prognostications wrong. I'd like to thank William Bevere, Ted Olson, who I'm seeing tonight, Bob Levy, Ed Meese, who you saw tonight, Nick Rosenkrantz, Harvey Cook, Andy Redleaf. And uh, one person I'm going to mention who's not here tonight is Judge Bork. Um, I specifically want to mention Judge Bork because he not, he helped not only to prove the press wrong, but also his own pessimism was expressed on the video wrong. So. Uh, now, why were some of these predictions so wrong? Here tonight we have over 30, well, we have over 3,500 volunteer leaders of the Federal Society. They're well represented here tonight. And it's their time and their energy. That has helped establish a true intellectual grassroots organization, which has confounded some of those early doubters, and which you've heard so much about here tonight. I'd like to ask all of our chapter presidents—I'm uh, sorry, all of our chapter and practice group officers, student chapter and lawyers chapter officers, and practice group officers and leaders—to please stand and be recognized. You are the core of the federal society. You are the one who does the work, and we really, really appreciate what you do. Thank you. Most of the articles about the Federalist Society talk about our funding sources, something which, frankly, I don't recall seeing quite as much in articles on groups viewed as being on the left. Uh, uh, Indeed, there often seems to be more interest on the part of the press in who funds us than anything else. Well, we want to make the job of the press easy. So we have published our donors in our annual report. But in case any press here tonight is not gotten that list, I would like to ask to stand and be recognized all of our Madison Club Foundation corporate and individual donors. Just as we would not be here. Just as we'd not be here without our volunteer leaders, we'd also not be here without our donors. I do remember our first lawyers convention, we were expecting four hundred attendees and got nearly a thousand. The hotel wanted to know how many were coming to the meals. We had no idea. I I hope we did better this year. And seriously, I want to thank those who have worked long and hard to make this possible. And and Ted thanked them generically. But I'm going to take just a second to to mention names here. Uh, Dean Reuter, Julie Nix and Lisa Budzinski have taken the lead in this convention and this banquet. But almost everybody has worked on this event. So I'd like to recognize, in addition to Dean, Lisa, and Julie, Dave Smith, Terry Archibald, Patty Price, Rhonda Mullen, Peter Agner, Alyssa Howe, Cindy Searcy, Peter Redpath, Elizabeth Leroy, Kyle Rainey, Sarah Roderick, Marissa Malik, David Ray, Ellen Fuller, Mia Reynolds, Debbie O'Malley, Matt Nix, Flavius Mahias, and Alicia Luci. They all have staff name tags, and if they could all stand, and please introduce yourself to them. Our staff's here to help you and help our volunteers be effective. We want to be helpful in every way we can. So, they could please stand and appreciate. It. I want to complete these thank yous with two two other special thank yous. There have been two staff members who've been with me at the Federal Society for 15 of our 25 years. One of them is Doug Euban, who's our finance director, and has kept everything clean. That, that's no easy task in this day and age in our regulated world. Or as I usually put it, Doug has kept me out of jail. Except, except for those of you who receive signed checks from us. Most of you don't know Doug, but he's been indispensable to success in more ways than I can count. And I'm truly grateful to him. The other person who's been with us for 15 years has been mentioned tonight and is known to most of you and introduced Justice Thomas tonight. Leonard Leo has simply been essential in building every aspect of the society since joining us in 1991. You know, I could say a lot more, but I think the English language is better suited to just let me say thank you, Leonard. Thank you. Before getting to our dancers and cordials and and also letting people head home, for those who want want to do that, I want to close with one brief story. A reporter called me around the time of Justice Roberts' nomination when we were much in the news. He said he was impressed by what we had accomplished and what was our position on executive power. I told him we don't take policy positions, but that we're interested in the principles of freedom, the separation of powers, the rule of law, and the idea that it is the role of the courts to say what the law is and not what it should be. And that we believe in examining and discussing, debating these ideas, including executive power. He said, That's very impressive. What's your position on abortion? <laughs> well, I repeated we don't take positions and after a third trial of the death penalty and receiving the same answer, he exclaimed in frustration, You must take positions and you couldn't be so influential. It does say something about Washington that an organization which is serious about discussing ideas could not be influential. We think that belief is wrong. It is my commitment to all of you, and this commitment is shared by the federal society leadership, that we will strive over the next 25 years to continue to have serious civil debate and discussion of the ideas and principles that lie behind our Constitution, because those ideas are the ideas and the rules that help sustain freedom in society where everyone, if they work hard, can live the American dream. I once again want to thank all all of our volunteers. They are the bedrock of the society. Uh, I want to thank all of you for being here. Thanks for your help. Enjoy the dancing and cordials, which will be right outside in the same hall. The reception was in and good evening.